You're listening to the Music Interval Theory Podcast with TC and Frank. Well, I want to welcome everybody to the Music Interval Theory Academy's podcast. I am very happy today because my partner, who is all the way over on the other side of the ocean, coming from Vienna, Austria, is Frank Herlinger. He's going to be joining me today, which is wonderful. The people that know Frank know what a wonderful composer he is, but he's a great musical thinker. So without getting too wordy here, I just want to welcome Frank Herlinger from Vienna to the podcast. Frank, nice to hear you. Oh, many, many thanks. That's a wonderful introduction. It has been a fantastic journey so far. So we are now a few episodes in and it's fantastic to really see the information there and how it applies to actual music and how to create results, because that is what we are all about. We want to get everybody to results. That's the plan. And I believe since I was really intrigued by those episodes that you released by now, what do you think? What are your your top two highlights, maybe, what you've been working on so far for the podcast? Wow, well, my top two highlights, let me start with my top one. And that's interesting because the one of the podcasts, actually, I think the first one that I did was on the interval one, which, as you know, it's a that's a semitone. And on the guitar, that interval is very difficult. So I wanted to figure out a way to use that interval on the guitar, fingering-wise, uh, vertically, in lines. And so I decided to make that my very first podcast was how to use the interval combination of four plus one, but really delving into the one part of that, basically showing everybody out there that if you take a one and you position change it, which means whatever note is on the bottom, you put it up one octave. Then you have an 11. And when you apply that fingering to the guitar, you realize that all kinds of great chords that you've probably been playing for years have that interval in them. And that interval has what we call a nature. Mm, yeah. And that becomes really fascinating. So I have been concentrating on really delving into how to use the intervals 1 and then 11 in free-thinking intervalic music and also diatonic music, meaning pertaining to a scale. Like a major scale, if you play that interval just using a major scale, it shows up in two places. Those two places are places you can switch tonalities if you know how to use the interval 11 and 1. So that's what I'm doing. I, I know it sounds a little heady, but it sounds great. <laughs> well, actually, the, the 1 and the 11, well, as we know, the, the 1 is not a stable interval, right? If you play a 1 on the, well, on any instrument, of course, except a monophonic one, that's not going to work like a flute. But there are flutes, actually, that can uh, produce two tones at the same time. But anyway, <laughs> so the moment you have a 1, it is absolutely clear that it's not stable. So it wants to move. 
The 1s or the 11s, it works both ways, play a part of almost any chord structure. And we all know the chord progressions, right? So we can go from plain major 7th chords, which is the 11 right there, but you can also go to 9th and 11th and up to 13th. And probably most of our guys are familiar with those more conventional uh, chord structures. But the beauty is you can just abstract this interval from any chord structure and look at the outside. So the moment you hit on an 11, you can really get rid of the inner parts and then you're just dealing with the pure nature of that interval. Out of a sudden, you have so many options available very easily actually on the guitar because an 11 is not very hard to play. Well, a one is pretty hard to play, right? Especially yeah. if you don't want to bring in any open string. That's the lazy way of doing it. <laughs> yes, well, ones are a five fret stretch wow. for most of the guitar. Between the, the G and the B string, it's four frets, so it's doable. Then that's, that's part of the nature of one for guitar players. Hey, you want this interval? Kind of keep it on those strings because that's where you can grab it nicely and, and easily. Yeah, well then don't try to play it on a bass, right? Because then the stretch is even wider. <laughs> the bass players are a little limited with that interval to play them both at the same time, not just because of the stretch, but because of where that, that interval would be sounding. It's, it's more in the higher part of the overtone series, not the lower part where the bass player lives. The funny part is though, Bass players, they kind of managed to use the one very elegantly in chromatic harmony. So they can always go with what they call the tritone substitution and they can just move around the circle of fifth because you can always substitute your perfect fifth with a one, which is fantastic, right? So this is stuff that you will get to know if you just look at the intervals. Yeah, it's part of the nature of one. The concept of the nature of which is a whole section in our main course. When you start applying that, you realize there's some things that uh, unveil themselves as to the nature of an interval that gives you counterpoint and lines. For example, we have a topic that is called expansion and contraction of an interval. And of course, a one is just one interval, so it's it can't contract. It has to expand. This is going to be a brain teaser though. Did you know that if you expand a one, it expands to three. And three is actually a resolution. So you have an expansion and a resolution that doesn't, it doesn't, it seems like a resolution would be smaller. It wouldn't be an expansion, but it actually is and you start to see why that is when you make the one and 11 and have it resolve, because it resolves to nine. And that is a contraction. So you, got, you have to see the big intervals. You can't contract a one. It's already contracted. Yeah, yeah. And that is really great to see on the Overtone series, uh, because you can you can actually see the, the descending movement of those chord tones when they uh, resolve, right? So it's, it's always going down, it never goes up. So a resolution always moves to a stronger overtone. 
and you don't have to think so much and you can focus more on the actual music. You know, guitar players, I have a very deep love for all guitar players. It doesn't matter what kind, I, I, I love it all. But the interesting thing is the stuff that we're teaching people, it applies to any style. I'm loving dedicating time to the guitar player and seeing if we can't make a difference and bringing more composers that are guitar players in their bass to the world. Yeah, well, part of that is absolutely to have a solid process in place. I love dwelling a little bit on this three-step process, the gathering and the sketching and then the developing of the materials. And especially sketching, I believe, is a very powerful element in there, which works equally well on any instrument. So you can really take the guitar and sketch out your ideas on the guitar as you would do on the piano. Yeah, that's that's very true. And that's the secret right there. By the way, I have to say, your workshop was wonderful. Oh, many thanks. Without a gathering and without a sketching uh, for a piece of music, you're just kind of what I call hunting. And some people are super, super talented and they can hunt and they can come up with a pretty good idea. But then they get stuck because they don't have a method. And the way you laid that method out for everybody, that technique frees you. And all of a sudden, you're not even worried about the technique because you're thinking creatively and the technique got you there. Which uh, actually reminds me of why we do have cars right now and not horses anymore. Well, <laughs> cars are just faster. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's better to use a car if you want to drive from A to B and not you know, use a horse because it will take you much longer. This is kind of what I felt with this three-step process. That is really the, the car to me that brought me from A to B way quicker. That is why, well, we spent a substantial amount of time talking and explaining those individual steps in there. Yes, and it's really well organized. You know, we always talk about uh, the three-step process. And it starts off with a gathering. My metaphor is, let's say you're going to make a pie and you're going to go out into the forest and you're going to hunt for berries and you come across all of these beautiful blueberries and you gather blueberries. But then you say to yourself, well, that's wonderful, but I don't know if I want a blueberry pie. So you gather some strawberries and then you gather some raspberries. You take them all home and they're on your counter and that's your gathering. Now, what does that tell you? You're looking at the different colors, you get input, you get ideas creatively from you have something gathered there. So you can start with a sketch. So you can go to your sketch. And that doesn't mean you can only go to a sketch. You can go back to the gathering if you haven't got all the berries you want and then continue sketching. So it's not a one-way street. It goes back and forth. And I think every composer should really... <laughs> listen to those or get those ebooks that you have and all that sort of stuff so well we go pretty deep into why it is just smart to sketch and why you should pay attention to this and the the funny part is really to me that you can reuse your sketches and you can flesh them out so differently so that you save even more time once you have a solid sketch in place you can adjust you know things like tempo or the density, you can add something to the sketch, you can extract something and 
expand on this extraction a little bit more and it becomes an endless source of inspiration. I would say almost that once you have 10 to 15 solid sketches in place, you potentially can build a professional career on those sketches and reuse some of the stuff. And I can actually back it up. If you listen to some very successful composers, you will hear some of the repetitions in their work for different projects. Well, you can call this their own unique voice, and that is probably a valid way of explaining it. You can also argue that this all came from the same sketch, right? This is a way to organize your compositional life. You know that what you're going to start off doing is you're going to gather some materials. And that's pretty easy. You just sit and start doing it. You know why it's easy? It's easy because there's nobody looking over your shoulder saying, well, why are you gathering that material? There's no music yet because you're just gathering some ideas. So it's, it's a wonderful way to start. No pressure and it helps facilitate the next stage, which is sketching. Well, I might have said this already, but I really wish somebody would have explained this years ago to me. But fortunately, this all led to founding also uh, the Academy. And I'm very appreciative about this frustration. That's just part of the process to some degree. Um, but don't let this frustration bring you down. It's actually just a matter of perspective. Once you start seeing that frustration is energy, and you can channel and use the energy in any way you want. So again, you get back the control. And that's the moment really where you probably visualize yourself as a more successful and creative person. And that's just a, a fantastic motivator to get stuff done. That's right. The three-step process has become a part of my musical life. I mean, I can't even imagine sitting at the keyboard like I used to, hunting for an idea and then spending more time being frustrated. So that energy, see, that's the wonderful thing about the way you lay things out, Frank. You say frustration is energy and all you have to do is rechannel it. That's worked for me, so I have to thank you for that. And now we are sitting here recording those episodes. So that is really a, a fantastic development of, of this whole a journey that we started together. Yes, marvelous, really marvelous. What a journey it has been. I, I never expected this, but once we both realized, wow, we have, we have a new way to think that could actually not only make music in general, the composition of music a lot more fun, but we could get some better sounding music, stuff that you haven't heard before. It's really marvelous. I actually listen and I say, wow, I, I, I wish I had studied this when I was in my teens, because then by the time I was in my early 20s, I'd be a super successful composer. You are a super successful composer, honestly. Uh, that is at least what your never-ending credits list say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the, the, the point is really that I believe the whole purpose of us sitting here and talking about the three-step process is we want everybody to see and experience the value. It can and will change the way how you approach composition. 
This is a little off, not off subject, but an additional sidestep here. One of my favorite things is when uh, I have a CIT tell me, you know, my husband listened to what I was composing and made a comment of how great it was sounding. Or my wife tells me my music is really starting to create a fan in her, which maybe, you know, sometimes our spouses, they don't necessarily love what we're doing. But I like it. I like it when when actually the boyfriends, the girlfriends, the spouses, they they actually make comments to the CIT. And that gives uh, everybody much more energy, which, like Frank would say, you can re-channel it. <laughs> that is all true. So I will leave the closing words for this episode to you. And um, I want to say thank you for this wonderful conversation. It's always a pleasure and a pure joy to talk with you. And I really appreciate the time. Oh, th thank you, Frank. Thank you for taking the time. But uh, I would just close by saying this is a, a wonderful format for us. And for all of you that are out there listening, really looking for your own musical voice, to find the DNA of your musical spirit, the Music Interval Theory Academy is really a great place. I don't even dare to add to this. Okay, great. We'll see everybody soon. This podcast is powered by the Music Interval Theory Academy, your resource for getting clarity and confidence in music composition and orchestration. See you inside at musicintervaltheory.academy.